0: Welcome to the Compliance Perspectives Podcast. I'm Adam Turtletow from the Society of Corporate Compliance and Ethics and Healthcare Compliance Association. Joining us from Chicago is Ronnie Feldman. Ronnie is CEO, Founder, and Creative Director for Learnings and Entertainment. And today we're going to be talking about offense and defense. Ronnie, thanks for being here and you have made the point that compliance teams need to think about offense and defense. What exactly do you mean? I think it's an interesting concept.
1: Yeah, well, I thought, first of all, thanks for having me. I appreciate being a part of the show. As you know, I come from a comedy entertainment background, so I always love performing, performing in quotes. So I thought this was a fun framing, for a problem that I've seen in the industry. Uh, so let me tell you what I mean. Um, I think let's define offense as in, um, proactive and preventative, the things that we do that helps prevent problems in our companies and defense, meaning, uh, reactive, cleaning up messes, things are happening up, uh, to us. And, and I, I think that the, the thing I wanna talk about is I think most programs are out of balance. I feel like we spend more time focusing on things that actually have very little to do with preventing poor behavior, preventing problems, stopping corruption, bribery, fraud, privacy breaches, all these things. If you follow the money, um, the, it's kind of backwards how we think about it. And uh, so this is what I want to talk about. I mean, if you follow the money, we, we think about the things that most companies spend their their time and resources on. We, if you're starting a, a program, you, you write policies and you document them, and you make everybody sign that they read them, and you know that they didn't, or if they did, they forgot about it right away. And then we eventually buy some off-the-shelf training that's really long and boring, and you know that everybody's just you're doing their laundry as they click through it, or uh, and if they get the question wrong, they call their buddy and they answer it. And uh, people f- walk away from that feeling like it bores them and it wastes their time and they feel like you're just pushing liability on them. And then you spend all that time tracking down completion rates, uh, you know, because you got to, you got to go, oh, you got to, you got to finish that uh, training that you didn't really want to do, or else we're going to start docking your money or whatever your bonuses. I mean, you have hotlines that, that, That you incorporate, which obviously these are these are good things, but they're people often don't know about or they're scared about, uh, uh, scared to use them. Um, And then uh, I can't tell you how many times a a company's like, "Oh, we would love to use your services, Ronnie, but um, we had too many investigations (laughs) this year, and so we spent too much time investigating all those problems that we have. And of course, at the end, all the tracking and reporting of those uh, those things. And again, some of these things are good and helpful things. My main point is that we're a little bit out of balance because if you just start with like what are the things that we can track and measure which is what most of the training vendors do oh look we got great analytics we can tell you this we can tell you that but the training's terrible so we're starting with the the things that we can report versus starting with the things that are proactive and preventative that can impact behaviors I feel like we should be focusing on that and measuring those things versus the other way around.
0: That's interesting because, you know, what you're saying there is not just where we spend the dollars, but making sure we're getting the bang for the buck. So what are the things you think we should be investing more in to uh, make sure that we are impacting behaviors?
1: Yeah, the, the first uh, uh thing is to obviously just reorient your thinking. What is our job? Our job is to to try and mitigate risk. And the best way to mitigate risk is to make sure that bad things don't happen as best of your ability. And so, you know, I I I I I feel like when you talk if you even go to the conferences, most of the time we're not talking about that. That's a part of the conversation. I feel like that should be a bigger part of the conversation. So the things that impact behaviors, like all the behavioral science tells us it's really um two things there's the we're highly we're highly impacted by our social environment right peer pressure group think um malcolm gladwell calls it the fundamental attribution error that most people um, overestimate internal stimulus like i'm a good person i do good things um, and they underestimate external stimulus i.e the environment the culture um, there's all sorts of studies that say that good people will often do things against their interests or or quote unquote bad things because the environment says it's okay you know the, the perfect example is like people cheat on their expense reports i've been working really hard and um and i and i've been good for a really long time so i deserve something bad i can you know take a buddy out to lunch and put it on the the, the, the corporate credit card that's like you know an example um you know, we do this in our everyday lives too, you know, uh, you say, uh, you cheat on your diet, you know, because it's not because you, you don't know the information, it's because I've been good, I've been good, I've been good, I deserve something bad. <laughs> so we have to think about uh, the social environment. Um, Dr. Rob Cross at the University of Virginia did a study that says that, um, I mean, the, the answer is kind of obvious. He says people like being around people who provide Um, positive interactions, uh, energizing interactions. In other words, people like being around people that are positive and helpful and likable, and people don't like being around uh, people who are negative Nancys and know people and are constantly problem-oriented. Compliance often tends to be the latter, and so um, we've all heard of the halo effect, like you want That people think good things about us and and have positive things. Compliance often, because of the nature of those words, tends to be kind of um, negative oriented, and that means people don't seek out their advice and support. Um, Speaking up has a negative kind of connotation. So these are the things that we need to focus on. How? What are the things that compliance can do that impacts that social environment? So think people can more readily access the ourselves as a resource and access our resources because they're not so scary. The other big impact of behavior is the leadership environment, which is we all know that people will do bad things if their boss says it, you know, says so. That's the Stanley Milgram experiment is the most famous one. Basically, the point being that, uh, you know, an otherwise good person might do something uh, not so great if uh, if their boss says, hey, just get it done. This is how you get it done. So we got to get at the social environment and we got to get at the leadership environment.
0: Let's start with the social environment. How do we turn things around and make compliance much more of a positive influence of it?
1: Yeah, well, th- this is why, you know, uh, I-, I think about it this way. Being positive and preventative means focusing on Uh, promoting speak-up culture as regularly and as often as possible to create that psychological safety that we talk about all the time. Like, how do you create psychological safety? Let's start with the premise that that people don't speak up because we know that most of the time that they don't, even though they know right from wrong. Um, So we need to start saying over and over again that speaking up is a good thing, that there's safe places to do it. We need to demystify the speak-up process. Um, and, you know, by unpacking what it means and and sharing examples of the bad behavior doesn't go unchecked, you know, so these are things that we need to say more frequently. Um, you can't see me, but I'm gesturing. <laughs> I'm just I'm, I'm gesturing quite big right now. We need to do these things more frequently. We also have to change what ethics compliance means to people. You're not the office of no. You're 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 not the finger waggy corporate cops you are a positive helpful supportive resource you're on their side you have their back so these are misconceptions we need to demystify and say the opposite of those things and being fun and interesting and positive and entertaining and sometimes comedic are, is a helpful way to get those messages out more frequently it makes you, it makes the ethics compliance team less scary it it um singing a song about the importance of speaking up isn't necessarily funny because it's such a serious subject but that that's what commercials are on the radio and on television and all the other ways we consume information we use these really there's lots of interesting ways that we can get these messages out that make them less scary more digestible and you get the benefit of of have uh, getting more real estate and rotations on those messages because If you're just saying the same thing over and over again in a scary way, you get message fatigue and you won't get access to those channels. But if you say these things in a fun, interesting, positive, um, empathetic way, you get more rotation, more real estate on training and comms channels, and you can start to change that social environment.
0: Now, we change the social environment. That's only part. You touched upon the leadership environment as well. How do we address that and have a positive impact?
1: Yeah, well, so the, I, I I like to talk about this with my clients all the time. If you had a, a if you're starting a program, I, I honestly wouldn't spend it on that long trackable e-learning that, you know, that everybody with all the bells and whistles that everybody's doing because training is infrequent and you're trying to reduce seat time and all that stuff. Uh, the thing I would do is I'd spend my first training dollar on uh, leadership because like, you know that that impacts everybody like if your job is to influence the most people it's the comms and awareness that we just talked about you know train less communicate more and then if you spend your training dollars on uh on training leaders cr- creating programs for leaders that that talk about their additional ethical responsibilities so that's step one we have to you know engage them with our training dollars um integrating embedding the ethical leadership message into their daily work lives into their Um, into their work stream. So there's, you know, the training of it and the reminders and reinforcements that we all know are effective, but focusing that on leadership. And the second half of that is uh, engaging and involving them. So uh, creating simple and easy ways for leaders to then deliver the training on your behalf, manager toolkits and things of that nature, a meeting in a box, once again being things that are that are having things that are short and entertaining is helpful in all those things because one if you want to repeat a message over and over again should be interesting should be entertaining because that's a way to rise above the noise and have that sink in and then if you create like these little say, five minutes ten minute trainings that have a fun video in it and and unpack the information you give that to a leader um, and say hey you deliver this if you help them look good by giving them something fun and interesting, they will more like than likely do that training for you without the eye roll, right? So to me, being entertaining and interesting and thoughtful and using stories and using these fun devices is really critical to to helping to engage and impact leaders and to get that messaging out more frequently to the to the masses.
0: So finally, we do all these things obviously you want to be able to measure the impact of what you've done what do you find is a good way to approach that
1: well yeah uh and i'm sorry i'm getting a little long long long-winded so i'll try and wrap this up pretty quickly but you know uh the the first thing is to not to, to to not start with the measurement and then work backwards from there it's to start with the things that you think will impact behaviors and measure those things uh, recently, the OIG, the Office Inspector General, came out and said that alternative forms of education do count. So these regu- re- regular communications, the post and the push, the newsletters, the emails, these little commercials that you can integrate and embed into the organization, these little fun videos, tracking click-through rates, um, uh, tracking you know access to policies, driving traffic to policies and tracking those access to those things, those all do count. Um, I would I say focusing on measuring things like uh trust in the speak up reporting process and trust in organizational justice, these surveys that you should do separate from training to 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 sense people's uh trust in the in the organization that that you have their back and that you're doing the right thing. Having leaders certify that they're delivering the speak up message and delivering those trainings, um, providing videos between uh speakers at sales meeting, all these little like the little nudge learning that everybody knows is effective. That all counts. So I feel like we should be doing those things and measuring those things. Uh, so to sum up, I'd say like you know let let's reorient ourselves on preventing problems, being positive and proactive. Uh, the the short, fun, frequent uh, training and comms uh, is more effective than the long, bloated, boring annual training and being interesting and empathetic and thoughtful will not only be more fun and interesting for you, but fun and interesting for for them and and a more effective solution.
0: Well, and help them understand that compliance isn't out to get them, but we're empathetic. We understand what you're going through and trying to help. Well, Ronnie, thank you so much for sharing these insights with us today. I want to thank all of you for taking the time to listen. I'm Adam Scherteltout from SCCE and HCCA. I hope we're able to expand your compliance perspective.